Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you here this morning. We're so glad you're here. Uh, there is a packet of information we'd like to give to you right outside here, um, directly across from the sanctuary doors. It is a, our welcome packet, which gives you a little bit of information about who we are and what we believe and whatnot. There's also a card in the seat back pocket in front of you, uh, a contact card. You can drop that off in, that, uh, in the love box back there. Which, by the way, we get a lot of questions about, like, why we do what we do uh, in terms of, you know, how we do, you know, service. And one of the questions that always comes up is, you know, do you guys not accept tithes here? Or do you guys not <laughs> accept offerings or whatever? Actually, we do. We have a box in the back. And, you know, we don't tell people. We don't, we don't pass a plate because we want that to be between you and the Lord. Uh, we believe in, uh, in the idea of New Testament giving. It's between you and the Lord. Whatever he puts on your heart to give, be a cheerful giver. And so that's between you and him. There's a box in the back. Feel free to put it in there if you'd like. And uh, again, it's a, it's a biblical mandate, and it's one of those things that we want to do. God calls us to give because he's a giver. But at, at the end of the day, it's not something that we feel uh, we need to necessarily do in front of everybody else as we pass a plate. That's why we don't do it. But, but again, it's not because we want to downplay the act of worship, which is involved in giving. It's just we feel like it's appropriate for people to give between them and the Lord in the back. That's why we do it. And so those are the kind of things you'll find in the Calvary Distinctive, um, in the summer distinctives that we're going to be going through, um, you know, why we do what we do. So again, Luke chapter 19, and if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Or if you're picking us up on a podcast or something like that later, you're, we're glad you're with us this morning. Stand with me, if you would, please. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must Stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the, to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We are so grateful to be able to come and open our Bibles freely. God, that we can read your word, these love letters, 66 of them all together, every day of our lives, as much as we want. They're stained with blood. And so let us not be flippant or let us not, Lord, take it for granted. That might not be the case one day. Lord, let us hide your word in our hearts this morning. Would you just do the work in our lives that is necessary to make us more like Jesus? 
That's our prayer, God. Increase our faith this morning, right where we are. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask that your Holy Spirit come teach us now. And Lord, get me out of the way that you might be seen in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoa, don't say amen so loud. Oh, amen. Get him out of the way. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. We want to get me out of the way, but... Hey, we're continuing uh, the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and we're in a, in a part two of a two-part message that I entitled, Faith That Works. Faith That Works. If you weren't with us last week, uh, we talked about faith that works to heal. And this week, we're going to look at faith that works to save. If you missed last week, you can pick it up on, on iTunes, Google Play, or uh, you know, sign into our podcast, Calvary Chapel Columbia. You can check it out there or you can go to our website and, and pick it up. I encourage you to do that if you missed it uh, because I explained a lot about what I meant by faith that, faith that works. You know, James talks about, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. The idea is that when we come to Christ, our lives are transformed in such a way that, that we, it, it just, we begin to just do things out of the, uh, you know, the, the transformation that's happened in our lives because God has changed our heart. So there's works associated with our lives. Like we're not the same people. And that's what, what I mean by faith that works. But faith itself produces all different kinds of fruit in our lives. And, and last week we talked about faith producing healing in the life of Bartimaeus. Now, Bartimaeus was a man that, you know, was uh, blinded. And he had been that way for we don't know how long. But whatever the case might be, he had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said himself, your faith has made you well. It was his faith. He had faith that works. In other words, there's faith that works and then there's faith that doesn't. There's genuine faith and then there's not so genuine faith. There's a false faith. There's a faith that people live their lives based on. That's kind of a wishful thinking. I hope that this comes to be in my life, but I'm not sure. You know, and, and the reality is the reason why people have that kind of faith, you've heard them say, oh, I have my faith. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, to, to us it means it means guarantee. Whatever we're believing, we're guaranteeing. That's the biblical definition of faith. It's a guarantee. It's assurance and it's evidence without seeing. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. People in the world use this word faith as kind of this buzzword for just leave me alone because I have my own beliefs. That's what it means in our world. So don't talk to me about what you believe because I have my own faith. Well, there's only one faith, the Bible says, and, the, and, and here's the reality is it's not faith if it's not in God. People say that, you know, they have faith in, 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 you know, nature or they have faith in humanity. God, please, I pray for you if that's you. But, you know, people have faith in all kinds of things, but it's not true and genuine faith if it's not in God himself because God himself is constant. He does not change. Therefore, we can have confidence and assurance 100% when we place our faith, belief without seeing, in Him. Everything else changes. Everyone else changes except for God. He's the only constant. James said in James chapter 1, verse 17, he said, uh, you know, he was talking about how all, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Listen, whom in there is no variation or shadow of turning. That idea of God being constant, there's no variation. He doesn't go up and down. Aren't you glad that you don't serve a God that is moody? Like he's like, man, I don't like you today, but I love you tomorrow. That's not the kind of God we serve. He, he is constant. He has no variation. He does not change. He is immutable. Now, the idea of him having no shadow of turning, 
There is no darkness in God at all. He is light and he is good. And so whatever he does is always good. And so that's why we can have the faith in him. That is true in genuine faith. Outside of that, there is no faith. It's just fake. And it's something that we make up. Now, Jesus told Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. Now, here's the, 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 the equation in heaven for a miracle. You guys ready for this? You can write this down uh, because it's, it's not just faith. It's faith plus God's will equals miracle. We talked about that last week. Faith plus God's will equals miracle. And you can say, well, how do you get that? Because Jesus said here, your faith has made you well. Well, here's the thing. Jesus always did the will of God. He never stepped outside of the will of God. And so every, he said that, this is kind of cool, in John 4, 5, and 6. Like he backed it up one after another. John, I don't think people are going to get this, so write it in 4, 5, and chapter 6. Just write it in there that Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Everything Jesus Christ did was the will of the Father. And so when he healed people, it was the will of God. But it's also God's, uh, this miracle is also coupled to our faith. And we don't get how that mystery works, but that is the reality. That is the definition of miracle in the Bible. Faith plus God's will equals miracle. Okay, it's not just faith. But with that said, what I do want, you know, we, we talk about sickness and, and the question comes up in our minds and I didn't have a lot of time to go into it last week. I really don't have time to go into it today, but I think it's important is I did not talk about last week the idea that, um, you know, of sickness. Now, you know, uh, is it God's will that we're sick? You know, there is that idea of, you know, we can name it and claim it that it's God's will, you know, that, that as long as we have enough faith, God will heal us and that's not biblical. What is biblical is, Faith plus God's will. And, and what I mean by that is God is not the orchestrator of sickness, uh, but God allows sickness. Like, like somehow in, in, in God and who he is, in his sovereignty, the fact that he's in control of everything, somehow he cannot be the orchestrator of things, but he can use them. Does that make, I, I mean, that blows my mind. Like God is so in control. That is control, folks, when you're not even doing it and you use it for your glory, right? I mean, that's awesome. God is so in control that he uses the fallen world. He uses sin in the world, which produces sickness. Sin is the responsibility of sickness, not God. But he uses that in people's lives to bring glory to himself. Now, you might think like, well, God wants us all to be healed. And yes, that is true. However, it's an issue of timing. Sometimes God's will in our life is that we remain where we are because it, it causes us to be more like Jesus. He talks about a lot about our suffering that produces that Christ-like character. And so there are times in our lives why when, when God allows certain things to go on in our life because it produces a Christ-like character in us that we wouldn't otherwise have. It's not, you know, and I don't understand the sovereignty of God when it comes to why he does, why he chooses to heal one person versus another. It's not because one person had more faith than the other, um, you know, but, but the reality is that God does what he does. And, you know, here's what I know in my life. God has been more than equitable with me, far more equitable with, with me. He is always good, no matter if I'm sick or not. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. God has always been everything and more than he said he would be to me. Anybody else agree with that? Like God has been so good to you that it doesn't matter what you might encounter the rest of your life. You might get cancer and suffer for the next 20 years, but God has been so good to you that you know what, you are going to endure like a good soldier and you're going to watch him walk you through it. 
Because God's will is always yes for us to be healed, but sometimes it's in eternity. Sometimes he just waits till for eternity. And so we can be okay with that, right? We can rest in God knowing that he is in control and he knows what he's doing and we can trust him and we can trust that whatever he's doing in our life, it's working out for our good. Way better than we could have done it ourselves. And, and so, you know, that's the, I wanted to make sure I clarify that. Uh, you know, God, Jesus told Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. He had a certain type of faith. He was acting on faith when he came to God. And he, he was, came to that road and he wanted and he started crying out with everything he had Jesus son of David he's calling him the Messiah I believe in you Jesus it was his faith that that Jesus then said come here bring him here and he and he ends up getting healed how awesome is that well today I want to look at another uh, person another testimony of faith faith that works but in this particular case it's faith that doesn't heal but it brings salvation S faith that saves faith that works to save. Um, you can look at verse 19. There are three things I want to show you about faith that works to save here. Firstly, faith that works to save seeks Jesus. It's my first point. Faith that works to save seeks Jesus. Look at verse 1. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, we, we come to this passage, and if you read the other gospel writers, you know, if you read Matthew and Mark's accounts of this, it says that Jesus was leaving Jericho. He was leaving Jericho when he healed Bartimaeus. Here we find one of those contradictions of the Bible that everybody talks about. It's a contradiction because there's so many of them in the Bible. Unless, of course, there were two Jerichos. And actually, the reality of it is, is there was. There are no contradictions in the Bible, folks. If there is an issue with us, with our understanding of it, it's because, uh, you know, there's something we don't have information on or we haven't studied it enough to know. People will come up to you and say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Is it? Show me one. And then you go and research it. If you don't have the answer right there, you go research it. But I promise you there are no contradictions. The reality is, is that there were two Jerichos. There was the ancient city of Jericho that we talked about in, in, in Joshua chapter 6 that got destroyed. That was the old city. Well, there were some inhabitants in that ancient city that had lived there, Bartimaeus probably being one of them, that came to the road there. And so it was that older city that Jesus was departing from, coming to the new city of Jerusalem, or Jer Jericho, I'm sorry, that was uh, built by Herod the Great for his winter palace because he needed so many of those. But anyway, he was an incredible builder, by the way. But Herod the Great built, rebuilt Jericho, and it was that Jericho that Jesus was entering now. So, you know, there you go. There's another Bible contra mythical Bible contradiction that bites the dust. So Jesus is passing here, and it says, Behold. That word means draw attention to. Draw attention to this. It's important. He, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. You know the story. It's that Zacchaeus. The theological truths of nursery rhymes, my goodness, they're awesome. Zacchaeus, his name means pure. His name means pure, but his lifestyle doesn't match his name. You know how moms and dads, when you're getting ready to name your child, you're like, oh, what does that mean? 
Well, I've got to look it up. What does that mean? We've got to have a good meaning for the name. We've got to make sure we have the right meaning for the name. Uh, you know, and so we get all freaked out and we're like, oh man, we've got to get the right name. Well, his parents called him pure. What do you think they wanted for his life? This guy was the biggest disappointment to his parents could have ever had. They called him pure and he was anything but pure. Zacchaeus was a traitor. He turned on his own countrymen for the sake of money. You see, back in this time, when, uh, when somebody, when you would be uh, you know, taken over by another country, such as Rome, when Rome was conquering nations, they would set up nationals in, that, in particular areas to collect taxes for them. Zacchaeus was one of those people. He signed up and he said, I will represent you in my particular area and I will collect taxes for you. And the way that that would work is that there were good tax collectors that only, you know, took what was required of Rome, which was a lot, by the way. They taxed the people heavily. But there were, there were dishonest tax collectors. There were people that were, they were, there was an abomination. They ripped the people off so greatly that they became rich. The only way that you could become rich is if you were ripping people off. It's the only way. Well, what does it say about Zacchaeus in our story here? In our account, it says he was rich. Listen, this guy was an abomination to his nation. In fact, do you know that in the Talmud, in Jewish culture, that they said it was appropriate to lie to a tax collector because they rip people off so much. They're just like, well, just lie to him and tell him you didn't make that much because God's okay with that. You know, no, he's not okay with it. We always have to be honest. We don't, we don't stoop to man's level. We live our lives. We don't rip the, the IRS off because we don't like their tax bracket because we don't like the way they're taxing us. We pay our taxes. That's what Jesus said. Pay your taxes. Do it right. Don't lie about it. And, and I can't tell you how many people I hear, even in the church, that are ripping the IRS off because they don't like it. I don't, I don't think I own that, so I'm just going to do this or that. It's like, hold on a second. Be honest. Be honorable. Be pure, like Zacchaeus was supposed to be. Be that person. Now, Zacchaeus was a disappointment to his family. He was a traitor to his nation. He was, uh, you know, such a traitor that he became the chief tax collector. That meant he was over his region. Like, he had other tax collectors that re reported to him. And so, you know, he was one of those guys that the entire nation would look at and just be despised over. Oh, you make me sick, Zacchaeus. You, you're such a traitor. He was unscrupulous because he was rich. He was fueled with incredible greed. He took, all to, he took all that he could to quench his insatiable love for money. And no matter how much he got, he thirsted for more. You ever been there? You're thinking, this thing is going to satisfy me. If I could just buy this or that, oh man, you know, I got the iPhone 7, man, this thing is awesome, which I hate, by the way, but anyway, uh, you know, it's really awesome, it's the newest gadget in the world, and boy, it's got the Bluetooth this and the new operating system that, and all this kind of stuff, and like three seconds later, you're like, this thing sucks, you know, and you're just like, man, I hate this thing, when's the new one coming out? You know, like you're constantly going from one thing to another to, to, to think that that's going to bring satisfaction, it won't, there's nothing here on the horizontal in this world at all that will ever bring you complete satisfaction. You can only find that in Jesus. And Zacchaeus was seeking that in money. He was seeking that in, in thinking like, oh, if I only had more money. He had, the, he had the Rockefeller syndrome. 
How much money is, is enough? Just a little more. That was his problem. That was his God. He loved money. And yet, money could not buy what he was missing. How do we know that he's missing something? Because he's seeking Jesus. He's seeking Jesus. That tells us that Zacchaeus is not satisfied with what money can bring. Not satisfied with it. And we, of course, know that because we see rock stars and movie stars and all these people that have all kinds of wealth. We find them, you know, never satisfied, committing suicide, you know, getting into a life of drugs and alcohol and all this kind of stuff because that can't buy them what they seek, what they need. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy the soul that longs to worship God. Not a thing in this world can do that. The only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ. And so Zacchaeus is missing something, hence he's seeking. That word means to, to look, to strive after. What was he seeking? The text tells us he was seeking, listen, this is interesting, to know who Jesus was. He heard already who Jesus was, right? I mean, because he's coming to seek Jesus, like he's heard something about Jesus, but he wants to see for himself. I want to know who this figure is that everybody's talking about. I want to have my own personal encounter with Jesus. I'm going to strive after that because he, you know, in some way, shape, or form, is gra I'm gravitating towards him. I don't even know why, but I want to know who he is. And what I find interesting is Zacchaeus' life is not falling apart that we know of here. You know, and oftentimes that's when people seek Jesus is when their life is falling apart. But I don't think necessarily that's the greatest time to seek Jesus because when our life falls apart, you know what happens? We'll take anything to give us satisfaction. And that's what often happens when people begin to look to Jesus when their life is falling apart. They try him out and then he doesn't work for them. Because what they're doing is they're trying to just go from one thing to another to find comfort. What, and, and, I'm not, and, and listen, God is not a discriminator. If you come and your life's a wreck, praise God, he'll take you just as you are. He loves you. He'll clean you up. He'll change you. But oftentimes the motive of coming is not to know who he is, but it's what can I get from him. It's a, and that oftentimes is done with fake faith. And so it's not real. And so we have these, these big issues in the church like, well, was that person saved or not? Do we lose our salvation? Or how does that all work? Because people are operating in fake faith and, and, and genuine faith. And then, you know, we're sinners and so we're falling back and forth. And so it produces a lot of questions. If only we would seek God to know who he was. If only we would seek Jesus to know who he was rather than what we could get from him. But like I said, God's not a discriminator. He'll love you right where you are. He'll bring you in. He'll minister to you. He won't discriminate against you. If your seeking is sincere. And that's what it really comes down to. What, what is the purity? What is the purity of your motive? Why are you coming to Christ? Because, he wants, because you want something from Him or because of who He is? And that's something I think that Christians should ask themselves often. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this? Because God sees right through the motive. He knows, the, he knows our heart bare and naked. He knows why we do what we do. And he loves us and he ministers to us, but he sees through us. And so we should often ask ourselves, what is my motive, Lord? May it be pure. May it be God. I just want to know you. I want to know who Jesus was is what 
what he said here. The Bible tells us that if we seek God like that with sincerity, with our whole heart, our lives will transform. There will be no question in our, you know, whether or not we're his or not. But the devil does a good job of that, doesn't he? Of producing tares amongst the wheat. Jesus said, don't pull them out because you don't know who they, which one is which. They look identical. The Darnell versus you know, the wheat. You can't tell the difference. Jesus said, hey, that's my job. I'll pull them out. You just love them where they are. So that's not our job. But, but the reality is when you seek God with sincerity, you'll find him. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 13 to 14. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, what does that say? It's kind of conditional, isn't it? You will seek me and find me if, conditional, you seek me with all your heart. There are many people that are seeking God half-heartedly and they never really find him because he's not there to be found because it's not sincere. And so the reality is, is sincerity. You know, again, it's a question of the motive. He said, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, he's talking to Israel, but it applies to us. It's a beautiful picture of what he's saying when we seek him wholeheartedly by faith that we find salvation that we find restoration, that we find incredible spiritual blessing when we seek God for who He is, sincerely, by faith. Listen, Christian, I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord, but this seeking never ceases in our life. We're, continue, we're on a continual pursuit of knowing God more. Until the day that you take your last breath on this earth, you should be seeking Jesus by faith. And, and, and yes, you will, you've got, you know, if you're in Christ, you're saved, and you're saved as, as can saved can be, and you're going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. But our seeking doesn't stop because he says he will restore your fortunes. You see, we lost something at the Garden of Eden. We lost something incredible at the Garden of Eden, and God says you can live. Uh, you can live in heaven on earth until you go there. And so if you will come to me in sincerity, seeking me constantly, I will restore you. I will give you back that which you lost. Now, he's not necessarily promising that we're going to have, you know, dollar bills falling out of our pockets and stuff. No, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about 100% joy and satisfaction. He's talking about, uh, you know, our relationship that was lost, but he wants to restore uh, you know, and, and he's talking about incredible spiritual blessing. Christian, do don't you ever stop seeking God. You seek him with, like you're seeking your next breath. Yes, you're saved, but you're being refined. I want to know Jesus more. Anybody else? I want to know him more. Every day of my life, I want to know Jesus more. That requires seeking. Faith that works to save seeks Jesus. Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. He's operating by faith. How do we know that? Because the crowd was large, it says. The crowd was so large that, you know, you can imagine the notoriety of Jesus. It's feast time. People are coming to Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff. It's a big crowd. He has to fight his way through to see Jesus. And he's a wee little man. He's jumping around. He can't see him. And he's like, he's over there. There's no way I'm going to get to him. You know, and you know what that's like because there's people you would like to get closer to 
that probably you're not going to unless you bought something or you know somebody that gave you a pass to be able to get to them. You're not getting to them, right? There's no way you're going to. But faith doesn't give up. And so what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus is continuing to seek Jesus. He climbs up in a tree, a sycamore tree. What is that? It's similar to a mulberry tree, but it yields a fruit like a fig tree, which some have suggested that symbolizes the fruit of true repentance in the fig tree. In the fruit, the fruit of repentance is salvation. It's a good picture. It's a cool picture. Go study it or something. Go look it up. I didn't have time to go into it too deep, but it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, you know, Luke, the fact that he mentions the specific kind of tree he climbed up. He didn't just say he just climbed up in a tree. So it's kind of significant to what he's saying. And there's probably some symbolisms in what, what he's talking about, what, how this all ends up being, you know, what it yields. And it yields salvation. Because the fruit of repentance is salvation, which is kind of cool. Zacchaeus was full of faith. So he goes out on a limb for Jesus. You like that? He went out on a limb for Jesus. You ever gone out on a limb for Jesus? Like you don't care who's around? You care what's going on, man? You're going out on a limb for him. Someone says, Jesus Christ, and you say, hey, he's my Lord and Savior. I don't want to hear that. Don't, don't, don't talk like that in front of me. I don't, you, know, you can say what you want somewhere else, but please, that's my Lord and Savior. Be like me saying, you know, uh, you know, whatever, Gene Trimbo, you know, it's like, I mean, why are you saying his name? Don't say his name. Take his name in vain, please. You know, something like that, going out on a limb. There's times when I'm running and I'm like just caught up in the presence of the Lord and I'm running and I'm listening to worship, man. I just raise my hands. Lord, you're so awesome. I start singing loud. People think I'm a nut, but I don't care because I'm caught up in the moment with the Lord. And it's in those, that's what I mean by going out on a limb. You don't care about what anybody else thinks. Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he deserves that kind of devotion. Like he deserves 100% and more of everything that you can give. We, we, are, we walk so trepidly around man, and yet we're so flippant around the Lord. And we've lost the fear of the Lord in our, in our lives. It's like, Lord, you are more valuable. You are greater than anything that I could ever encounter in life. And let me see you that way. Lord, change my heart. Zacchaeus was going out on a limb for the Lord. He just got caught up in the presence of the Lord. He doesn't care who's around. He does what is completely and totally, uh, you know, unlike. It's really actually uh, defaming for a Jewish man to run in public. And yet he would run in public across, you know, he's, this guy's chucking. He's a little guy. His legs are, woo, you know, he's just a little guy. But he gets to this tree. He, he gets up in it before this, this crowd comes and he's up there because he wants to see Jesus. Like he's so into it. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He runs. He climbed a tree. It was that childlike faith that he would exercise, that he would climb a tree to see Jesus. John Calvin said, the foundation of faith is childlike curiosity and simplicity. Childlike curiosity and simplicity. I want to know who this Jesus is. And I don't care who, if anybody sees me, I'm climbing up this tree and I'm going to look at him. That's how Zacchaeus is coming to him. And he's not about to let Jesus pass by without getting a glimpse of him. Listen, faith makes us do things that to others might seem unreasonable or irresponsible and maybe even a little foolish. 
But that should never stop us from exercising our faith. Why are you moving? Well, I don't know. I, I just feel like the Lord's calling me to move. You don't know? You're just moving? You don't know? And you feel like a moron right there, amen? Yeah, you do. But I recall that, G, that you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that it's the foolish that he calls to confound the wise. I'm willing to be a fool for Jesus all day long if he gets glory from it somehow. I don't want to be a fool for my, my own sake. That happens a lot. But I just want to be a fool for Jesus. Zacchaeus' faith is not satisfied in hearing about Jesus. He must see him. And that's the kind of faith that works to save folks. Faith that seeks Jesus at all costs. And that's the kind of faith that Zacchaeus has. Well, not only does faith that works to save seek Jesus. Secondly, faith that works to save obeys Jesus. Look at verses 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The fruit of faith is found in our willingness to obey Jesus. The fruit of faith is found in our willingness to obey Jesus. To say that you have faith and then to live your life contrary to the word of God willfully is to have an unbelieving heart. There is no redemption in that. There is no conversion in that. When you just say, I don't care what God says. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. He said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living of God. Contrary to popular belief, this is not speaking about believers. He's not saying you can lose your salvation here. What he's saying is the falling away is a result of an unbelieving heart. If you have an unbelieving heart, then you've never believed. You've never tasted what salvation tastes like. And so he's, he's saying there, you know, there are people in the church that, that say that they have a believing heart, but they live their life however they want. They don't care what God's word says. And God would say that's an unbelieving heart. That is, that is not a, a heart of faith because a heart of faith says I want to do what God wants me to do because faith leads you to obey Jesus. But lack of faith will lead you to what? Disobey the Lord. That doesn't mean we, we don't blow it as Christians. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is a difference between a true believer and a genuine believer and a difference between somebody who has fallen away in terms of they were never saved in the first place versus somebody who is stumbling along the way. Because, you know, what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 is that it's easy for us to stumble along the way, isn't it, as Christians? We stumble. We fail. But here's the deal is we get back up, we dust ourselves off, and we say, Jesus, you're greater than the sin that I'm struggling with, and I'm going to believe by faith in you that you're going to give me the ability to overcome it, whether it be, you know, my, my anger, whether it be, you know, my selfish heart that only wants to serve me, whether it be, you know, whatever it is, you submit that to him by faith, believing that he can do it. But if you have an unbelieving heart, it's going to lead you astray because faith is what draws us closer to God. It's faith that, that we exercise. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, for whatever does not produce Whatever does not produce from faith is sin. 
For whatever does not proceed, sorry, from faith is sin. It didn't sound right. Like I was like, I got to say that like three more times because that didn't sound right to me. But faith, uh, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What does that say lack of faith results in? Sin. To exercise faith is to draw near to God, to obey Him. It produces, faith produces obedience. Lack of faith produces disobedience. When we operate outside of faith, we're in sin. And it's a lack of faith that leads us away from the Lord. It's true and genuine faith that leads us back to God. Jesus acknowledges Zacchaeus is now uh, coming by faith, and Jesus is going to test his faith. Is it real? How does he test his faith? He says, Zacchaeus, come down. Is he going to obey his voice or not? Is he going to obey his voice? God tests our faith, Christians. He tests our faith. He wants you to know whether your faith is real or not. He knows. He's not up in heaven going, I don't know if that person's a believer or not. He knows. In fact, the Word of God tells us that he, sig- he puts a stamp on us called the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1 that he seals us like a signet ring a king would use in wax. That's what God did with you in the Holy Spirit inside of you. He sealed you for the day, until the day of redemption, until Jesus comes back. You're sealed, you're his, you belong to him. But he still tests our faith. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, if necessary, he says. It doesn't happen to everybody. You know, God, God tests all of our faith, but if it's necessary for your faith to be tested, then you will have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God uses fire in our lives to to, to help us understand our faith. Is our faith genuine? Is it real? Do we really? You know, we say this all the time. I trust God with everything I have. Do you? Well, let's see. Well, hold on a second. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want to be tested that way. Well, let's see. Because God cares more about, you know, who you are than who you think you are. Does that make sense? He cares more about who you really are than who you think you are. I'm, I'm, I'm totally sold out to Jesus. If you're sold out to Jesus, then you know what? You're going to endure trials and it will produce praise in you. That's why we talked about last week, James chapter 1. It was verse 2. I said verse 4. I misquoted. James chapter 2. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. Consider it pure joy. You know, as you mature in the Lord, the trials that come your way, you, you recognize by faith that God's using them for a, a great purpose in your life to produce a Christ-like character in you. And so when that happens and the testing comes and you get through on the other side, you know, and you've been refined a little bit, you praise God and honor Him because He has helped you to know Jesus more. And that's the purpose. That's the whole point. If He could do it another way, He would. But even Jesus said, man, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He was willing to do whatever was necessary. Are you willing to do what is ever necessary to become more like Jesus? That's the question. God, want, God will test our faith, yes. But it's for the point 
of refining us and making us more like Jesus. Genuine faith will stand up to the test. When that kind of faith is present in us, the words of Christ strike our hearts like a piano striking a key on the baby grand. And we have no other option like that piano but to resound a full tone, a tone of full obedience to him. When a pianist strikes the key, the piano has to respond. It doesn't have a choice. And if it doesn't, it's malfunctioning. There's something wrong with the piano. That's a picture of the Christian life. When God strikes the key, we respond to it and we resound a, a, a full yes and amen, Lord, because you're king of kings and I want to follow you. And that's the way it should work. And when we don't do that, that's because we're lacking faith in our life. So maybe a better prayer than God, give me strength to obey you. Maybe a better prayer would be, God, give me more faith to obey you. Maybe that's a better prayer for us as a church, is to say, God, give me more faith. Because when we truly trust God in things, we obey him. Because we don't think he's trying to rip us off. But the enemy is always trying to tell us that God's trying to steal something from us. But we want to be obedient, man. We want to we be obedient, and as we exercise faith, we will be. Because it's a full trust in God knowing what he wants to do in our life. When Christians stop operating by faith, we stop obeying God. That's a fact, Jack. I wonder if, again, a, a better prayer would be what I just said, so I'm lost in my notes. But notice Jesus says, invite, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' home. Now, kids, you want some ammunition for your parents? Right here, you know, when your parents say, hey, Oh, don't do that. It's, it's impolite to invite yourself over to somebody's house. You can say, well, Jesus did it. Well, Jesus did it right here, man. He invited himself right over to Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, I'm coming over to your house. We're having lunch. What are you making? You know, kind of thing. So there you have it. I, I don't make up the rules. It's right there. I don't know what to tell you. I don't want you to miss this. This is important. This is the most important part of the passage. Jesus, listen, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus ever thought of seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus from the foundation of the world. He thought of him. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.15 says, he was seeking Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus was even, a, a, he, wouldn't, he was just a thought. He began to seek him. We don't ever take the first step to God. He always steps towards us first. It's amazing that, 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 yes, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus, listen, to the extent that he knew his name. He knew his heart. He knew what he needed. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus, how did he know his name? Because he created him. Because he's creator. That's how he knew his name. It's amazing to me. God knows your name. Every one of you. Every single hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows right where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what he wants to do in your life. He knows where he wants to move you from to. He, he, he knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he's loving on Zacchaeus here. He's saying, Zacchaeus, I'm seeking you. Zacchaeus, come down. That is Intimacy. The intimacy of God that he would know your name before you were even born. 
He knows what Zacchaeus needs, and he says, and that's why he says, listen, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. It's not, can I? I must come to your house. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus knocks on the door of our heart, waiting for you to open the door. If you want salvation, he must come into your house. The, the, the heart being the doorway to your home. And Jesus is telling Zacchaeus, it's an emphatic thing. There is no way around it. If you want me, you, I must come to your house. It's a picture. Yes, there's a physical house, and yes, he's going to it. But it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual picture of Jesus Christ knocking on the door of his heart saying, I must come in. If you want relationship with me, I must come in. It's not enough to hear about me. It's not enough to seek me. You've got to let me in. You've got to receive me is what he's telling Zacchaeus here. And he's saying, hurry down, Zacchaeus. Open up your heart. Invite me to come in. And notice in verse 9, it, Jesus said that to him. Today, salvation has come to what? This house. It's a picture of his heart. Today, salvation has come to this house because he responded to Jesus Christ and he received him in. And he said, of course, I will hurry down. And of course, I will bring you to my house because I want you. I want what you have, Jesus. I want to know you. In verse 10, it tells us that that was Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. Like Jesus, his entire point in coming was to seek and save people. That's why he came. He loves us. Zacchaeus can respond because Jesus is on mission. He's saying, I came to seek, I came to save. And he says, salvation has come to this house, the house of Zacchaeus. And the question is, has salvation come to your house? Are you in Christ today? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you don't, you, he's knocking on your heart today. And he's saying, invite me in. You've got to receive me. It's not enough to, know, to say you know me. It's not enough to seek me. It's not enough to quote Bible verses. There comes a point in time when faith acts in such a way that it says, Jesus, come in. I want you to be Lord. Like, I'm turning everything over to you. Here's the keys to my life, Jesus. Do with it what you will. Whatever you want. And then you spend the rest of your life serving him. That's where he is right now. That's why salvation has come to his house because he is operating in genuine faith that, that believes in who Jesus is, that he is Messiah, that he is king. And, and Zacchaeus responds, is only, only a true, genuine believer can respond. It says he is full of joy. And that joy, when you come to Christ, is inexpressible. It's incomprehensible. And it comes to those who truly believe. And it's not just for a moment, it's for a lifetime. Some of us have forgotten that. That that joy that, you, that God produced in your heart, that salvation, some of you don't know where that is right now. And you're like, yeah, I'm serving him, but, you know, in praise, in joy, not just with our mouths, but actually from the heart that is worshiping him. You, you know, you're... You're, you're not only, as I was talking about earlier when we were singing, 
you're not only singing hallelujah with your lips, but you're singing it in your heart. You're singing, God, I praise you, and you're standing like this in your heart. Nobody else can see you but God because there's such a joy, and when you encounter things, yes, the enemy likes to try and take away our joy, but he can't if you don't let him. He can't rob you of your joy. Listen, if, you're, if, you, if you've lost that, if you've lost that love, and you know, if you've lost that joy for real, I'm being honest because there's times in my life where I feel like I'm just in a dry season, man, and I'm just walking through the desert, and I'm wondering, God, where are you? I know you're here, and I know it in here, and I know it theologically, but I don't know it in here, and I'm not worshiping you the way that I should. If that's you this morning, you need to just, by faith, step into the joy that he's given you and remember what he did for you. I mean, if he doesn't do another thing in your life, he's already done enough, the fact that he saved you. Remember what he's done, and it will restore your joy. Zacchaeus is just praising the Lord here. Faith that works to save seeks Jesus. It, seeks, it also obeys Jesus. And lastly, faith that works to save repents before Jesus. Look at verses 7 and 8. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You know, religious people commit some of the most grievous sins before God. They're grumbling and complaining about Jesus being on mission and seeking and saving lost people. And there are people in our culture that grumble when a sinner comes to Christ. Grumble. Complain. They don't want to see people saved. Oh my gosh. Let that not be us. Ever. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you are estranged to and you're bitter at. Don't ever let that bitterness get you to a place where you would grumble at God that he would save them. I don't care what they've done. None of us deserve what he's done for us. None of us. When he was pinned to the tree for you, he was pinned to the tree for them. He loves you as much as he loves them. Don't ever, ever let you know, your own personal feelings get in the way of, of what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And religious people don't understand that. They love their religion more than they love their God. And that can happen. I mean, the Pharisees started out strong, you guys. They really did. Back in Ezra's time when they organized themselves and they said, we don't ever, ever, ever want to get close to even transgressing against God and so let's set up this council and let's just make sure that we don't even get close to the line of what the law is so let's put additional room between us and the law and that's why they created the, 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 the rules that they did it started innocently it started with genuine compassionate faith that said I just want to serve God and I, wanted, I don't want, ever want to be found in exile again and yet how quickly that can turn around and it can happen to you you can go from a genuine, loving, you know, follower of Christ to a religious, nagging grumbler. And it can happen. Be careful. It's all a matter of the heart. I, I want you to understand the mission of Jesus here. He was on mission to seek and save the lost. That's why he hung out with sinners. I love how, I love how sinners like to say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. He's cool with that. I don't know what your problem is. But Jesus was cool with what I was doing. No, he actually wasn't. And in fact, 
You'll never ever see Jesus in the Bible reaching out to sinners who don't want to be saved. You're never going to see Jesus, you know, just going into a bar going, what's up guys? Hey, you know, and people high-fiving him because he's not there for that. He's there, he's not there because he thinks they're cool. Like he's there because he loves them and he's there because he knows that, they, that he has something that they need and, and they are seeking him. He doesn't just hang out with unbelievers to hang out with them. As cool as Zacchaeus might be, that's not why he asked to come stay at his house. And I think in the church we got this all messed up. And the, de the, the enemy's done an incredible job of getting us either to just completely alienate ourselves from the world completely. I'll never go to an unbeliever's house ever. Or, you're, or, or you got the people that are all the way, well, drinking beer with people and doing all this kind of stuff, you know, and just partying it down, just, just hanging out with them. But you have no mission. Jesus had a mission. When we hang out with the world, it's got to be missional. Like, he, he's going to put unbelievers in your life, uh, you know, to, so that you can minister to them. Not so you can just hang out with them and talk to them about the weather. Like, he wants you to actually represent Christ in those relationships. And, you know, let us not be people that say, like, oh, I just can't get, you know, like an arm's length distance to the world that we're not willing to get dirty. But also, let us not be people that are just hanging out with the world just because. Like, Jesus didn't do that. He hung out with unbelievers because he was seeking to save them. And, and, you know, that's what we should be doing. And that should be the only interaction that we have with the world is being on mission with the Great Commission, which he told us to go into the world and make disciples. And that's what we should be doing, not just hanging out with people, rubbing elbows. If we could get that right in the church, I wonder what this world would look like. You know, if we could really, really get it right and love people the way that he did. I can tell you that it's not within yourself to do that. It's not within myself to do that. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can do that. So we need to be praying, God, help me to be missional like Jesus was. Like, let me hang out with the Zacchaeus, the, the, the rejects of our world. Let me hang out with them and love on them and show them Jesus. <laughs> that, let that be my mission, not anything else. And so I'm encouraging you, man, hang out with the world for that purpose. Go into the world, he said, and make disciples. Who has God put in your life? Do you have unbelieving friends in your life? You know, it's sad to say, I'll be honest with you, I don't. And you know what? This is an indictment on me. Because I want to be missional in my relationship with God. And so I'm going to go find myself an unbeliever. I'm going to let, no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to let, it's like, you know, I'm just going to go get myself a kid. You know, no, actually, no, don't do that. Um, you know, Pray, pray, ask God who he is putting in your life that you can minister to. Who is it? Who's in your life? God help me to know and let me not miss it. Because listen, again, like I said last week, we're not just waiting for Jesus to come back. We have a job to do. We're called to serve him. I love what R.H. Linsky said about this passage. He said, Jesus had made Zacchaeus' house a church of God. He came over to his house and he just started preaching to Zacchaeus. Just started telling him like, Zacchaeus, you know, I, I, here, here's the thing. You know, God loves you and whatever he said, I don't know what he said, but he said something to the, to, to the point that caused Zacchaeus to stand up. Like to just stand before Jesus and, and he made two confessions before him. And he said, 
I want to give half that I have to the poor. Out of response to what Jesus had done for him, I want to just give half of what I have to the poor. This is almsgiving. Like Zacchaeus understood the Old Testament. He understood what was required of the Old Testament, that we were to be um, you know, empathetic towards people. And we were, we were called to give to the poor and love on them and all that. And so he's just like, I just want to give half right now to the poor. Like you were required to give the fifth, but he's like, I just want to give half of what I have. His first, he first utters a vow of promise of thanksgiving. A half of my possessions I give to the poor. This, this is the man's thanksgiving offering for the pardon, the comfort and of conscience and the peace of soul he has just received from Jesus. A priceless gift that he has been given to him. And he acknowledges that gift. So he tells Jesus, I'm going to give that. He, he thanks Jesus for what he's done. Secondly, he says, Jesus, uh, he tells Jesus, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it for fourfold. Again, this is Old Testament law. He was willing to make restoration for his actions. And, and he isn't saying if, as in like, I'm not sure if I did. He knows he has. He knows there's people that he, look, this guy's ripped off so many people, he doesn't even know who they are anymore. And he's just saying, well, you know what? As it comes to my mind of whoever that might be, I'm going to res restore that for, uh, fourfold. I'm just going to give them more than what they're required. I'm sorry, that was what was uh, required a fifth of you know, of restoration. But he's saying, he, God is, unlike the, uh, the, the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus is responding in such a way that he says, I'll give it all away. I don't care about this. I don't care about this money. I don't care about any of this stuff, man. What I care about is what you've done for me. And out of a heart of thanks, I'm just going to give it all back, whatever it might be. And I don't care if I go broke because I got a relationship with Jesus. Here's a guy who understood the value of what he had in Christ. There's nothing in the world uh, that comes close to the, um, having a relationship that, with Jesus Christ. There's no value even close to what it is to having a relationship with Christ. Zacchaeus was glad to give it all back. He understands his salvation. He understands the fact that he is, has a changed heart. He's no longer walking in bondage of sin. He's come to Christ by faith, repenting, and, and, that his, and we know that he's repenting because his life's changed. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away. It's, it's to have a change of mind. That's literally what it means. It's like I was going one direction one way, and now I'm repenting, and I'm going the direct opposite uh, direction now. And that's what he's doing. He was ripping people off. He couldn't get enough money. Now he's going the direct opposite way. I'll give it all away. Money's falling out of his pockets. He's just giving it to people. He doesn't care because he realizes he has what he needs. Faith that works to save seeks Jesus. Faith uh, that seeks to save obeys Jesus, and faith that seeks to save repents before Jesus. And if you're here today and you have that kind of faith, let the Spirit work in you this morning. Whatever He may want to do in your life. Listen, we all need more faith. That's a reality. And so we ought to be praying today, Lord, increase my faith that I might be on mission for you, that I might seek to save the lost like Jesus did. You know, Lord, I want to increase my faith that I might be set free from these things of disobedience that I've had my hands on this morning. Lord, increase my faith that I might be able to repent and turn away and turn towards you, whatever it might be. God, just increase my faith, amen? Lord, we thank you for this morning, for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And God, we are grateful people this morning. We're so thankful for what you've done. And we ask, Lord, even now, 
you would help us to respond to your voice. And that you would work in our lives, God, as only you can. You know what we need, Lord, this morning. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have relationship with you and you are standing at the door knocking, that they would simply by faith respond in you and receive you into their life. There's no magic in the words. It's in the sincerity of the heart. You simply call us to confess you, Lord, with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God raised uh, Jesus from the dead and we'll be saved. And this morning, if there's anyone here this, that is in need of relationship with Jesus, you just pray this prayer with me. Father, forgive me for my sin. Cleanse my heart this morning. I'm turning away from my old life. I want a new life. I want to be saved this morning. I know that's why Jesus came, to seek and save me. And I want to receive him in this morning. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose again from the dead for me. And I'm giving him my life this morning, professing him as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, as we pray that prayer, you transform our lives and we are different people. And so if that was you this morning, uh, we'd love to give you some information about your relationship with the Lord. You stop at the Welcome Center and tell me I received the Lord this morning. For the rest of us, God, we just pray for an increase of faith wherever we need it. We just ask that our lives would match our lips, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.